This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. I want to begin this morning by thinking about this question. Is that possible? Is that possible? Uh, that's a question you can ask as a skeptic. That's a question you can ask as uh, somebody with, filled with hopeful anticipation. Uh, that's a question that you can ask in response to uh, devastation and disbelief that you didn't know that could even happen kind of moment. You can also ask that same question, though, in uh, joyful, uh, awestruck disbelief, right? Is that possible? is a question we ask when we are making up our minds about whether or not we're really going to trust something or someone. We're going to really trust this. My mom once worked with a, uh, with, with a woman, uh, and, uh, and this woman came from a long line of pranksters. Uh, and her family was filled with pranks. In fact, her, her, her husband had uh, really pranked her well for her last birthday. And, and now her, her son's 18th birthday was coming up. Special birthday, right? Well, uh, well, this gal went out and bought a lottery ticket for her son. I'm not endorsing this, by the way. All right, I'm just, just telling you what happened in the story, okay? But anyways, she goes out, buys a lottery ticket for her son, and uh, gives it to him at his birthday. He opens up, you know, the card with it, and, you know, with all of the party, with all of his friends, thanks his mom, moves on to the next gift. Well, a little later on that evening, uh, when, the, uh, when the numbers were going to be announced, they dutifully gathered around the TV, turned it on, and, and uh, not expecting anything, but the first number he actually hit. He actually hit. And, oh, and, and then the second and third number, the guy announces too. I mean, this guy, his heart's starting to beat a little faster now. Now he's starting to wonder, is this possible? Could this happen? And, and, and then the fourth number comes up, and, and, and it's right too. His friends and him are now like bouncing up and down, looking at the TV, waiting for the final number to come up and score. It's right too. The kid wins the lottery. I mean, in a moment, he's promising to buy this and that for each friend. He, I mean, the mortgage is disappearing. New cars are appearing in the, in the driveway. All this kind of stuff. And he comes to his mom, and he just pours out his heartfelt thanks to her for, for this lottery ticket. And she lets him know, son, you're welcome. But just so you know, that's the numbers in the recording from last week. Gotcha, right? Oh, Oh, yeah. can you imagine how shaken his trust was? <laughs> that kid probably didn't trust a gift from his mother on his birthday for years after that. But probably cured him of gambling, too. Um, but his trust was pretty shaken. And when your trust and my trust is shaken, don't we need something to help it feel stable again? Doesn't it need something? It doesn't just happen again over time. In fact, usually in my observation, when time is added to distrust, it just works like compounded interest, right? It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and worse and worse and worse. 
What our trust needs, though, when it gets shaken, is the same thing that any one of us in that moment would want. You'd want to encounter the truth. The truth is what our trust wants. And I wonder if we know that it works the same way in our faith. It works the same way with our faith. In Luke chapter 1, we actually find a man named Theophilus. A man named Theophilus who was in a similar spot. Uh, we don't know a lot about Theo. Uh, he may have been uh, the, the sponsor behind the book of Luke. Publishing, just like today, is really expensive, right? It took time to copy each of those scrolls. He, so he might have been the sponsor behind the book of Luke. He may have been a former disciple of John the Baptist. We don't know. He may have been a recent Greek convert to Christianity. But whoever Theo was... He was somebody who Luke addresses the book to because, as he says in Luke chapter 1, it seemed good to me, Luke, also, having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty about concerning the things that you have been taught. Certainty. Uh, the word for certainty here has the idea of being grounded, as being stable, not swaying, not shaky, but certain. See, it wasn't that Theophilus was some kind of just pure skeptic about who Jesus was. Instead, it's that Theophilus's faith was kind of shaky, and he needed more certainty. He needed more stability. He needed for his trust to be strengthened. And for Theophilus, Luke does the same thing that we always see throughout the scripture when somebody's trust, when somebody's faith needs to be strengthened, the scripture offers them truth. For their, their trust to be strengthened, the presented with the truth, with evidence, in this case, with eyewitness accounts, with history, with logic, with prophecies from hundreds of years ago, with the word of God. For Theophilus, and for us, when our trust needs to grow, it has to encounter truth. For our trust to be strengthened, it has to encounter truth. But you know, in that is an ever so subtle key that I want us to unpack this morning. See, because Luke goes on here in the next couple of verses that we're going to look at to unpack something for us. In verses 26 to 38 of, of Luke chapter 1, we see this. And I, I realized, by the way, this morning that by teaching on this passage, I'm breaking some rules. Uh, it's not even Thanksgiving yet, and we're talking about Luke chapter 1. That means this is Christmas stuff. <laughs> It's not even November 17th. Come on. We're as bad as Costco at this point, right? You know, like October 31st, they're rolling it out. Well, if you feel that way this morning, I want you to consider this morning kind of like a, like a preseason warm-up for what we're going to be looking at, looking at the holidays a little bit differently because of this message. And so this morning, we're going to actually look at these verses in Luke chapter 1 through the eyes of of Theophilus. So I want you to look at this with me. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. 
Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to, the city of, uh, to the, a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Very good. You're all tracking so well this morning. You're doing great. Keep it up. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying, which if you were a 15-year-old girl meeting an angel, you probably would feel the same way. And she tried to discern. I want you to underline that, discern. What sort of greeting this might be? And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor or grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The Greek name for Joshua, which means Yahweh saves Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Right? Mary's not an idiot. Right? She knows how babies are made. And since that's not an option, how's this child possible, right? Verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and power from the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. We'll come back to that answer in a moment. Verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For, catch this, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now the focus on this passage is obviously on who Mary is being graced with. This passage is all about who this Jesus is. It's establishing that he's fully God, he's fully man, which would have huge implications on everything. And certainly understanding that claim and how that was part of a, of a chain of evidence for who Jesus was and distinguishing him from any kind of demigod idea that the Theophilus may have had from his past or, or revealing and, and revealing how he aligns with the Old Testament truth is obviously what's being presented to Theophilus here. But I want to focus our attention on, this morning on Mary's response to this grace. That this grace peaks a response from her that I think we need to pay attention to. Because Mary's response to this amazing word from the Lord is trust. In fact, you see this movement in the verses uh, from, from, from her in, in verse 29 being troubled and trying to understand to asking a question, right, in verse 34 and to finally acceptance in verse 38. 
If you know your Bibles, though, you know that not everybody responds to a message from God like Mary does here. In fact, as you look throughout the scriptures and you look at the different birth announcements throughout the scriptures, uh, babies have been met with various responses. Eve was consoled, but Sarah laughed. Rachel was envious. Hannah was at peace. Zechariah, just a few verses earlier, doubted. So when it comes to this question of is that possible, trusting that answer involves a choice. It involves a choice. It didn't just happen. Other people made a different choice than what Mary made. Trust's response to truth involves a choice. That's what I want us to pick up this morning. Trust's response to truth involves a choice. As Tim Keller has said, saving faith isn't a level of psychological certainty. It is an act of the will in which we rest in Jesus. For Theophilus, for us, our trust, our faith does not automatically grow as a result of hearing the truth. We know from Romans 10, 17, that faith does not come apart from the truth about Jesus, from hearing that truth, but faith or trust is not the only response to the truth. All of us can go on doubting. All of us can go on playing devil's advocate. You're not the only one that can do it. All of us can ignore it. All of us can suppress it. All of us can deceive ourselves in the face of it. Listen, for our skeptics in here, because I know we always have some, right? Come on. And we're thrilled that you're here. But I want you to consider something. I think some of us have tricked ourselves into thinking, into believing that when it comes to trusting in Jesus, it just happens. That somehow it just happens. That, that when we finally have a big enough pile of evidence for something, that then we just naturally trust. We just kind of fall into trust, kind of like we fall into love or something like that. We just kind of naturally just happens. That's not how trust works. That's not how our trust works. Because catch this, your pile will never be big enough. Your pile, my pile of evidence will never be big enough because you can always go right on over to the next pile, right next to it, our pile of doubts and tack on one more what about. You can always add to that pile. Trust always involves a decision. That doesn't mean that that questions don't matter. That doesn't mean that blind trust is a good idea, that reasoning is bad or anything like that. But at what point do our questions just become a smokescreen? At what point do all of our questions just act as a smokescreen for us? Let me ask you this. If your trust rests on a pile of evidence, never leading to a decision, just kind of leaning towards something, never a conviction, just a probability, will you ever have certainty? Can you ever have stability? 
At least about anything important? Just a question. I think, though, that the skeptic is not the one that's in the most danger. I think that actually instead, in the church, we can have the most dangerous response to truth. And that is where we mentally agree, but do not trust. It is where we mentally agree, but we do not trust. If you've been following some of my messages throughout this year, you know that this has been a theme of mine because I think we struggle with it and we are confused by the two. Truth, the most dangerous response to it is that we just ride the fence. It's that we just ride the fence. It's where we ask questions, we seek to understand, we get answers, we get smarter, but we never trust it. We never trust what we've been taught. We never trust. That's the most dangerous response. I remember my father reminded me that in the Bible, the picture behind this word trust is of someone laying down in a bed. It's of someone resting, putting all their weight completely on something else for support. It's not agreeing that that rectangle is a bed, that people should lay down in that bed. No, it is actually laying down in the bed. That's what trust is. Anything else isn't trust. It's not obedient trust, at least. But that is where some of us are at. We need to realize trust is like a muscle. It grows with use. The choice both shows it and grows it. And so to take this a little bit deeper this morning, I want us to see three different examples of trust Three different vignettes of what trust looks like through Mary's choices here. Three different examples of trust. And the first picture that we see here that Theophilus would have had the privilege of seeing here about faith, about how it's displayed, how it's strengthened, about how we get to see this here is in the picture of submission. Submission. I think sometimes familiarity with our Bible stories uh, actually can work against us, especially one like this, because I think we can forget that when Mary says those words in verse 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We can forget that this unmerited favor, this gift from God would appear to cost her everything else. This gift would cost her everything else. Her engagement, her family, her reputation, her finances, and potentially in that day and time, even her life. Even her life. But she submits. She has no idea how any of that could ever possibly get worked out. And yet she submits. She trusts. She has no idea, and she trusts in the midst of it. Even, by the way, the answer to the one and only question that she asks, where she's trying to discern, remember? Right? Where where, where she's trusting but trying to understand. She asks one question, and even the answer to her one and only question isn't much to go on. 
right? In fact, it's summed up in verse 37 that says, nothing will be impossible with God. So it will be a miracle. I think I would have had some follow-up questions to that moment, wouldn't you? We would have wanted to know something more here. But then again, if it is simply a miracle by God's power, what's there left to ask about? What follow-up question even makes sense? I think Mary got that. I think Mary actually understood that. And so she decides that this is true and chooses to submit. So the first example of a choice being involved in our trust is heartfelt submission. I, I think the question that that then presents to us on this side of it is, am I willing to humble myself in a way that recognizes the word of God as knowing what's best for me? Am I willing to submit, to say, you know what, God, when you say this, that's what's best for me. Not just for somebody else, for me. Are we willing to submit? There's an old story of a uh, house fire that happened in Canada. And, uh, and in the midst of this fire that seemed to almost instantaneously spread throughout the house, the father of the home was able to get all the other family members out safely except his son. And the son ended up being trapped on the second story. And so the father, in desperation, runs to the base of the window and yells up at his son. He says, jump, son, jump, I'll catch you. But the son in the midst of the flames and all the smoke, he couldn't see his father, and so he hollers back, but dad, I can't see you. But the father looks back up at the son, and he goes, but son, I can see you. Friends, grace is our heavenly father standing at the base of our hearts, yelling, I'll catch you. Jump, I'll catch you. Truth is recognizing that that is my father's voice calling me. Faith is jumping. Faith is the submitted heart that says, Dad, you know what's best for me in my life. Jumping is trust. Jumping, faith, is that submitted attitude that recognizes our Father's authority. And when we see that trust here in Mary's life, we don't just see it through her words. We don't just see it there. And instead, we see it moving forward. And it's also then being exemplified through her action, through jumping. In verse 36, the angel offered Mary a sign, remember? She didn't ask for it, but she got it anyways. And the sign was Elizabeth, who was well beyond childbearing years and had always been considered barren. And, and in verses 39 to 40, it says, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Mary's choice to trust is also seen here in her action to go check out the sign she was given, to go check out what the angel had told her. 
When you take action in obedience to the word of God, that's trust. That's faith. Sometimes trust is just a submitted attitude of our heart, but many times it's action. It's physical. It's going. There's an old saying, actions speak louder than words, right? Well, that's true with our trust. But sometimes we want God to deliver his will, will to us with a money-back guarantee, right? We're not willing to trust until we flip over the package on the back and, and see that, you know, if this doesn't go so great, I can, I can bring this back in. God's will doesn't work that way for us. Instead, we have to trust. We have to go. We have to be willing to risk. But our actions, oftentimes, in spite of the words that we're saying, are telling a different story about our trust. I remember a while back, uh, my family and I, we, we were a one-car family. And, uh, and I don't remember all the circumstances surrounding it, but I, I got an email one day from somebody else I was working with, and they offered to start carpooling with me. We lived in the same town. And, uh, and the thing was, this guy uh, was oftentimes late, and oftentimes, you know, we kept very different schedules. And so I didn't want to ride with him. And so in response to his email, I cooked up some lame excuse that I made up and sent it off to him. And, and as soon as I was finished sending it, that guilt I had been putting off while typing finally fully arrived. Oh, you know the experience. Come on. Arrived, right? And I wished I hadn't sent that email. I regretted it the moment I sit, hit the send button. And see, the thing about this, um, this person I worked with, it, he, just, he wasn't just any coworker. Uh, he was my boss. <laughs> the other thing is, he was my senior pastor. <laughs> Who wants to apologize for lying to their boss, let alone their pastor? <clears throat> you know what happened. Immediately, that inner tug of war began happening between my ego saying, it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal. And the Spirit of God saying, you better confess, you better confess, you better confess. <laughs> Friends, if you want your faith to grow, to be certain, to be stable, it is insufficient to only know the truth. It is insufficient to only know what is right. You have to act on it. That's how it grows. Trust involves a choice. And I spent the next 48 hours wrestling with that choice until thankfully when I saw him and took the opportunity to confess and apologize. But we need to ask ourselves, before we get to that moment, am I willing to act on the word of God without knowing the outcome? Am I willing to operate without the guarantee on the back of the package? Am I willing to submit and obey before knowing the result? And our actions will speak louder at answering that question than our words ever will. It's right here that I want to present to us a challenge this morning, a bit of a, a challenge over the next six weeks of this holiday season. Because I want to give us a chance to ask that question in our own life, is 
that possible. I, I, I want us to interact with God's truth. It's with something in our life where we are struggling to trust God and his truth. Specifically, I want you to think about a relationship in your world. Maybe it's your relationship with God and you finally need to consider the claims of Jesus and make a decision. Maybe it's your relationship with your boss and you need to make something right or, or deal with the worry you're struggling with with it. Maybe it's a relationship with an ex and you need to ask forgiveness and clean some stuff up. You're not trying to get back together, but you're just trying to make peace. Maybe it's for someone else in their relationship with God and you're wondering if this person could ever believe and you are thinking to yourself, maybe not. I want to ask you, if you will interact with the truth of God's word and take action in trust, to read, to call, to, to pick up, to, to, to get an invite card for Christmas Eve next week, to do something. That would seem very specific, Christmas Eve invite card. Next week, maybe that's the choice. Do something. Trust without knowing the outcome. Let's learn from Mary's example over these next couple of weeks. Let's learn from her example of what trust looks like and make a choice. And when you see that happening, I hope you'll respond the same way that Mary chose to. Because her trust responded to the truth by choosing, finally, to celebrate. Celebration is our final example of trust here. Celebration. I don't know if you've ever thought of celebration as an example of trust, but it is. In verse 46, we see that Mary finally responds to all of this with celebration. As far as we can tell, God hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't done anything yet. Mary, though, responds in verse 46 with celebrating. She's making a choice to celebrate what God is doing here before it's finished. Think about that. She's celebrating God's favor in the face of very serious hardship as a response. Listen, friends, grace doesn't sound like good news until the cost has been eclipsed by the benefit. That's when grace sounds like good news, when we realize the benefit of God's favor. She's choosing to trust that this Jesus that God is showing her favor through is a blessing worthy of celebration, worthy of trust in advance. She's celebrating before she sees. That's a deep trust. Let me ask us, are we willing to celebrate the word of God in advance? Does my trust in the word of God say, I submit, follow my action, and even celebrates the outcome that is still yet unseen? That's what we can learn from a 15-year-old girl facing the crisis of a lifetime with nothing but her choice to trust God. We might not be there yet. We might not have a trust that says, I'm gonna thank God in advance. We might not be there yet, but I hope we'll grow to that point. I hope we'll take the challenge to look at what God has said and display a trust that chooses to submit, act, and celebrate the grace of God before 
the outcome. And if our submission and our action and our celebration is based on what God has said is true, then like Theophilus, our faith can be strengthened as we jump, knowing that with God, all things are possible. Amen? Let's pray together, church. Lord, we want to recognize that it's not by a faith that we simply cooked up ourselves that we enjoy a life that's able to submit, that we enjoy a life that acts, a life that is able to celebrate. Lord, it is because of the fact that we get to rest, that we get to submit, we get to act, and we get to celebrate your grace towards us, that this is all possible. Jesus, thank you for being the perfect example of grace, being the perfect example of God's favor to us. We want to submit. We want to obey. We want to celebrate who you are and trust, knowing that your truth will guard our hearts and change our life. We pray that in your name. Amen.